0: The tools that I've developed in terms of focusing on one day at a time and one choice at a time and showing up for yourself regardless of if you're motivated to or not, I think those things have pretty much kept me alive.
1: What are you doing to create your dream life or your best self? Why do we see some thrive through challenges while others struggle? Welcome to Effort, a podcast where I talk about the main Fs in my life that have helped me in creating my best self, faith, family, forgiveness, food, fitness, and formula. Hi, my name is Amy Ladine, and most would say that I've had my fair share of struggles. Whether it was placing my baby for adoption at 18, facing my marriage-ending affair, or battling stage four cancer for almost seven years, it's safe to say that I've been through a lot. Join me as I take you through my story, my journeys, and share with you the tactical strategies every single week that will help you thrive and overcome anything you face. That's right. I'm going to show you how to create a future self that you'll be proud of. So buckle up, get ready for the ride as I take you through my story and bring other guests on that have helped me along the way. So this episode today is really, really cool because I'm going to actually have a recording of this person on my podcast after hearing her book on Audible called Chasing Cupcakes. Now, today I have Elizabeth Benton on the show and Elizabeth is the owner of Primal Potential, also Primal Potential podcast. She has over 700 episodes. She owns a health and wellness coaching company, very, very successful multimillion dollar company company. Like I said, she wrote a book called Chasing Cupcakes. Now, what's really, really cool about this story is I was told about this book and decided to listen to it on Audible, listen to it, and not only two months later, I show up to a mastermind that I was in and hear this voice in the back of the room and turn around and who is it but Elizabeth Benton in my mastermind. So it was really, really cool just to come full circle. I felt like I knew her because her book was life-changing. You know, she was as heavy as 350 pounds and has overcome so much. We dive into mindset, we talk about struggles and overcoming, and then talk about her most recent tragedy with the loss of her daughter. So I'm really looking forward to you listening to this one. Stay tuned. Okay, so how is that for a story in meeting someone that you really look up to and the chances of her being in my mastermind? So Elizabeth, thank you so much for coming on today. Oh, it is my pleasure. I'm really looking forward to chatting with you. Well, those of you that don't know, so I've I've shared Elizabeth sometimes in my actual podcast stories because, you know, you've really shaped me in a lot of ways. And I always tell you that you are goals for me in terms of podcasting. And Elizabeth, you have over 700 episodes, which I'm like, okay, this is the long game. Um, And it's just been fun to you know, listen to you, but I want to take my audience first, like through your story, because you have multi layers and we'll go through it and we'll talk a little bit about your book. But first tell me, tell our audience, you know, just a brief history here.
0: Absolutely. I mean, I, I'm sure that anybody listening might get nervous when I say like, it really started when I was a baby, but <laughs> it really did start quite young. I was the token fat kid in a thin and fit family. And while that probably wouldn't have been a big deal in that I probably would have grown out of it and nothing, anything major would have come from it, my mom felt like my weight was a reflection on her as a parent. So from a very early age, like before school age, my mom put a lot of pressure on me to lose weight. And for good reasons, she wanted me to be healthy, she wanted me to be happy, but also for maybe some some vanity kinds of reasons. And what that led to was a lot of restriction of food in my house. And as a rebellious kid who didn't really get it, who didn't really get the intentions, who didn't really understand relationship with food and relationship with self and all of that, I just started sneaking food wherever I could get it because I knew that it was so restricted. So I had this cycle of binge restrict before I even knew what that meant. Um, When I was at home, things were very, very, very controlled. When I wasn't or nobody else was home, I would just get whatever I could get my hands on. I mean, I would mix like sugar and butter and eat it because nothing else was kind of in the house. Um, And my weight problem just, of course, got worse and worse and worse. And it wasn't just the binge restrict pattern, it was the very clear sense that I wasn't good enough until I lost weight. So that touched all of my friendships and romantic relationships. As I got older, I wanted nothing more than to lose weight because I associated it with so many things like acceptance and fitting in and all of this. So as I got older, I would diet and go through that whole cycle and not realizing that it was kind of a mental and an emotional issue more than it was a food issue. I walked away from a scholarship in Latin and Greek so that I could study nutrition because I was just sure that if I knew a little bit more that I could figure it out. And yet I just got heavier and heavier and heavier. I took maybe the intention was to take a few months to stop stressing about my body and stop stressing about my weight and really focus on my finances. I had gotten married and I was well over 350 pounds and I was like, let's just get out of debt. So I I really focused hard on that. And I think there were a lot of breakthroughs that came from that because I realized that despite everything I thought about myself, I could be consistent and I could be motivated and I could be disciplined and I didn't understand why I couldn't apply it to food and my weight in this area that was so important to me and just so messed up. And when I started to realize that it was mostly mindset and the way I thought about myself and the way I thought about food, everything shifted. And as that shifted, I will tell you, Amy, I thought I had like, uncovered the secret of the universe. I really did because I had spent so long thinking that it was all about food and the right diet versus the wrong diet and the types of exercise. And when I discovered that the secret to all of it was the way that I thought about myself and the way that I thought about food, I was just so excited to tell other people about it. And that's when the podcast started and Primal Potential and I wrote my book and all of that. And I've now applied it to so many other areas and I see just how true it is as I do this work with clients and as I continue to do this work with myself that when we invest in becoming a better thinker when we start to problem solve more intelligently there's really nothing that can hold us back and so And that's kind of what brought me to Primal Potential and podcasting days. And certainly um, there's been been a lot of changes in that uh, over the years, but that's kind of the the backstory.
1: Wow. Wow. So that is a lot. And I I had to take notes because, you know, so I I, I read your book while I listened to your book, which was, you know, as I mentioned before, very powerful. And anyone that got into my car over that next week, I had it saved where I had a specific part of your book that I wanted to share because, you know, you talked about your mom. And you talked about her wanting like the best for you. And, you know, I too, my mom had the best intentions for me. I was the fat, I was the token fat kid in my family. I had four brothers. They were all skinny, skinny. I'm talking like toothpick skinny. Like you, I started to hide some of that. And it all started with first me not knowing I had an issue. Like I, I loved myself. You know, I was a really outgoing, like a little kid. I was a performer. I sang, you know, and then I remember, you know, having a time where, My dad had said something like, Oh, are you sure you should eat that? And that was my, like, one of my first times, like, going, Oh, okay, well, maybe I shouldn't, right? And so then, same thing, I hid. And, you know, thinking again, that it was a strategy issue that we need to know more. And it's really funny because I always say this to other people, when you meet really overweight people, I can guarantee you they more, they know more about nutrition and calories and labels and food than any other person in the room. Right. Yep. (laughs) And so I really, really relate to that. And I think, you know, my audience, like you know, can relate because I've got kids and people, you know, that tend to follow me have kids. And I always stress because we don't, we don't take on like teenagers. Like I won't work with someone I'll work with habits and I'll encourage a parent to like start doing some habits, but I'm an anti-dieter when you're growing up because I feel like it's your control as a parent, meaning it's caught. It's what they're seeing and you can find ways to still have them quote unquote diet or have a nutritional strategy without you even without them even knowing about it because yeah. I think that that's important too is your mom had the best intentions my mom you know some of the insecurity like you said it's like they feel like it's a reflection on them um you know she had the same but I was I was the binge restrictor yeah. and like you wanted it you know in your book you said I wanted this so bad and I just, I mean, I got so emotional listening to that because like you, I was desperate. Like I wanted it so bad thinking it was going to be strategy, strategy, strategy. So to find out that it was so much of it mindset, I'm sure you were like, you know, that's probably why you wanted to share it with the whole yeah. world. Cause you're like, what, this is the, the hidden thing. So take me down your journey. What, you know. You obviously didn't have necessarily a moment because you had many moments through your life where you wanted to lose it, but what started getting things really going for you? For the person that's out there, like they've tried everything and most people have at this point, they've, they're in their forties. You've probably tried eight to 10 diets at this point. You've probably even gained and lost hundred plus pounds. Most people that have struggled just because they keep gaining it back. Where did you start?
0: I started with the refusal to commit to another planner program. So I started looking at what has not worked because I went through that process of like, okay, here we go. I'm tired of being like this. I've had enough sugar for the rest of my life. I don't need this. I'm done with it. Blah, blah, blah. I'm I'm serious this time. And that whole pattern of come to an emotional kind of pinnacle of frustration and disappointment matched with motivation and commitment and commit to some plan like for 30 days I'm going to do this or for 21 you know I was done with that and I recognized that there was a there was a lot of me that kind of treated the dieting mentality as almost like a religion. And I don't mean that in any kind of way of worship, but rather here are the rules that I have to commit to. And if I've broken them, then I have sinned, right? (laughs) And I was just done with that. So when people say to me, should I do intermittent fasting? Should I be low carb? Should I do carb cycling? Blah, blah, blah. Why do you feel like you have to make a commitment to a way? But rather- Let's just focus on this one day. So I don't, you know, people will say, Elizabeth, are you low carb? Are you high carb? Are you keto? Are you paleo? Are you whatever? I can tell you what I am today, but that, that's, yeah. that's it. That's all I need to focus on. And I was just done with the notion that I was going to do this strict type of plan, that I was going to commit to it and treat it as though it was this religion that I had to subscribe to and I couldn't do anything wrong or veer off course. So I was just very much focused only on the day I was in, sometimes only on the next three hours, right? I can do this thing for this day. I can do this thing for these three hours, but I just took the focus off the big plan. I think I got some, well, I know I got some kind of fulfillment from the notion of like, okay, if I lost two and a half pounds a week for the next number of weeks, then by you know, December 1st, oh my gosh, it's going to be amazing. And then I had this sense of like euphoria and excitement that was entirely artificial, but I liked the ritual of that and the sort of momentum that that would create in my head. However, it never worked. So I just stayed firmly planted in the day I was in and sometimes firmly planted in the moment I was in. And from a mindset perspective, that was the big shift that I made first. From a tactical standpoint, I started just journaling everything, Mm. writing everything down. And it wasn't like, this is my meal plan for the week. It was, I can win a morning and winning a morning looks like this, right? And I have one more good choice in me just for today. And I was like really determined to get out of this pattern of focusing on the next six months or the next hundred pounds or the next 20 days. And it just became about today.
1: I love that. And I think when we have, you know, when you have a lot of weight to lose, you know, when I had 90 pounds to lose, I didn't know it was going to be 90, but I think I'd had the goal of like 80 at the time. It's daunting, you know, like, and if I would have thought, if I would have continued to focus on that, because I was like you, I'd have the ritual of setting the goal. I'd do the math. Okay. 3,500 calories equal a pound. I'm going to make sure my deficit is at this place. And I would, and I knew it all. I owned the body bug. I had it all. And then since I was focus on this outcome that I couldn't control, because let's face it, I mean, if anyone watches Biggest Loser, I always tell them, hello, week two, watch week two, and tell me that that makes any sense scientifically, mathematically, this person is in a caloric deficit, and the scale's up, and this just is the perfect test, are you going to continue and choose the right behaviors, you know, or are you going to wait for that outcome, right, and I think that's an important one that you know, if people would stop seeing this end date, I mean, I'm all for some goal setting, although I, I'm really anti, like, if you have a vacation, like, please do not, because you're, you're setting it for you to be around a bunch of strangers that you don't even know to look good around. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, you're going to the beach around strangers that you'll never see again. And you want to look good for them. You know, like it, it, it doesn't make sense. Right. But one thing you said earlier, and I really want to touch on this because or have you touch on this is you'll never hate your way into your dream body. And I say this all the time to people because I kept thinking, you know, when I was so miserable, I was like if I can just get here, I'll be happy. If I can just get here and I made the mistake of being an outside in thinker for that season. And you know what? I wasn't happy. I got to 150 I wasn't happy. Got to 140, 130, 120. I mean, I had eating issues then at this point because now I'm still just chasing what I think yeah. is going to make me happy, not realizing if I would have stopped, you know, and looked at the entire journey. So talk to me a little bit about that. Like, how does someone, so you're miserable where you're at. You know, you weigh 350 pounds at this point. Yeah. So tell tell me, how do I love myself when I'm feeling so uncomfortable, miserable, unhappy with my body, what would you say to someone? It's not that binary. It's not
0: either I hate myself or I love myself. And, and, and it's also about effectiveness. If hate was an effective weight loss strategy, I would have disappeared because at that point, I really, truly hated everything about my body. But if we say, that's not effective, that doesn't mean that the only alternative is to love your body and that's the only way to be successful. It's more about the fact that it's just a tremendous waste of energy to be investing all of that in the negative. You can be objective and neutral, not to generalize, but traditionally women are more emotional about things and men are slightly more pragmatic. They can see things for what they are without having an emotional response to it more often and more more easily than women can. And I just decided to practice being more objective, less emotional about my body. Okay, I don't like the way my legs look. I can change the way my legs look. I don't have to love them, but I also don't have to hate them. I can just redirect to the neutral or to the empowering, which is, well, what am I gonna do about it today? If I don't like this, let me, instead of using my energy for all of the drama, let me use my energy for change. It wasn't so much part of this notion that we self-love is the way to everything. I don't think it has to be that way or the other way. It can just be about being more pragmatic. I tell myself all the time, that I create my results. So if I don't like something, it's just not efficient to spin in the emotion of it. I would rather be more efficient and say, so then let's get to work changing it.
1: I love that. I love that because so many will sit there and focus on what they don't have, what they, you know, because I, I, I relate finances and, 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 and our weight very similar. It's like the person that doesn't have a good money mindset, right? And then let's say they go win like the lottery. If they've not changed their thinking, chances are they'll lose that money. They'll be back right there. Same thing with the fat loss, right? Like if we keep thinking that it's going to bring us the happiness or whatever, right? If we are only focused on that, Same thing. We might get there and that's where you see people cool. You know, it's like if you have a temperature gauge, you know, let's say that, you know, you want to be at a hundred, you'll just keep cooling yourself down back to really where your identity is. Right. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Wow. So how long did it take you to lose the weight? Like the bulk of it?
0: I would say probably around under two years, but I mean, since then, I've had periods where I've put more weight on. I've had periods where I've taken weight off. I am currently five months postpartum um, and I, I haven't lost most of my baby weight at this point. Uh, I would say maybe I lost five pounds
1: in five months. You know what I love about this? One, I mean, I love your your real talk here. And, you know, I, I kind of did that as a loaded question because I feel like so many people think that there's like this end. I did. I kept thinking when I get there, And then I realized I had a whole other like string of things that I needed to unpack and learn to deal with, with the maintenance side of things, or just that we have seasons and almost having just more acceptance of that, like having a baby and not being so rushed to, to get back there. Because after I had Leilani, I, I didn't rush it. It was the one time that I was like, I had proven to myself in the past that I could do this. And that's a great brain trick that a lot of us can do if you've ever lost weight any amount of weight you know you can at least say to yourself I can do this I've done it maybe not long term but I've at least done one day and that one day turns into two days and those two days you know so speaking of your pregnancy and this is just a great you know segue and always something that I mean I was nervous you know, to talk to you about this. What my audience doesn't know, so you mentioned your pregnancy, and I got to see you earlier this year. You know, you're getting ready to mm-hmm. to give birth, and you know, my biggest probably nightmare in life is losing a child. You know, my adoption, nowhere near that, nowhere near the same. But I definitely could feel um, some of that just immediate heartache for you. So, my audience doesn't know this, but at two weeks after you gave birth to your daughter you suddenly because this was not expected this wasn't like a two-week you know that you got to deal with it you lost your daughter yep and I have never seen someone show up so brave as you have because like I said it's 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 an actual fear of mine because I and and it's this just unconditional love that we have for these little humans and you know you've overcome so much you know reading your book and your childhood and just, I mean, I was so hurting for you because I just didn't, I was like, this isn't fair. This is so not fair. This is their first baby. You had everything, you know, planned for this. Mm -hmm. Talk me through since then, one, tell my audience how long it's been since then. And what are some of the lessons so far that you have just unpacked through going through, you know, what I consider just the hardest thing possible.
0: Yeah. So it has been not quite five months. Um, In another couple weeks, it'll be uh, another week or so. It'll be five months since we lost her. And um, oh, you know, I've been through some tough stuff with depression and and being morbidly obese for most of my life. I lost my dad in a a car accident. Um, Nothing prepared me for this. Nothing. And, um, it has been so hard, but I will say that the tools that I've developed in terms of focusing on one day at a time and one choice at a time and showing up for yourself, regardless of if you're motivated to or not, I think those things have pretty much kept me alive. Um, it doesn't mean that those things become automatic. They, they're always going to require conscious thought. But one of the things I used to tell myself when I was unmotivated to say work out is, well, fortunately I can work out unmotivated, right? Like motivation is not required. I can, I can go to the gym highly unmotivated and complete an entire workout, highly unmotivated. And that has felt very, very true, not not necessarily with regards to motivation, but really everything. I tell myself that my grief can ride with me, but it doesn't need to drive. And so I can record a podcast while I am really sad. I can get up and go for a walk. And I, I will tell you, I, I started going for long walks um, probably about a week after Stagny died, which is three weeks post C-section, and I would cry the whole time, and people probably thought that I was crazy, but I was like, I can cry and walk. I can do these things. They're not mutually exclusive, And, and that has just been a lifeline. I won't say it's made anything easier, but I can step back to say that if I had betrayed myself and just let everything go at this time that i would be dealing with more than a tragedy i would be dealing with other peripheral issues and so it's allowed me to still prioritize my marriage it's allowed me to still prioritize communication it's allowed me to go into the crossfit gym and stay there even when a woman who had a baby a week before me brings you know her daughter in in the car seat you know and like That can be hard and painful, and I can cry and also do the workout. And that's just, I don't know that I have much more besides that and God and time.
1: I think that that is the one thing that you have really, really showed me throughout this is that you can feel a certain way and still get out there and show up because you made a really good point, you know, and and I do believe that we should give ourselves grace and I don't think people should. I mean, you know, there are times you should just eat the cake. You know what I mean? Like people bring over stuff during these times. Totally agree. But at some point we start to see that, you know, if we, if we take this too far away from what we really know is best for us, then we have that problem and the heartache. You know, I remember with my cancer always, you know, when people would say things to me because there was people that would just like totally, you know, like check out because it's like, what's the point? Whereas I was still wanting to work hard because I knew at the end of the day that one, I still needed to put one foot before the other. And this was ultimately what was going to make me feel good. I still had times when I'd get bad news. I promise you probably on that day in isolation, I would totally sabotage myself with food and I do believe that you know you got to give yourself grace in these extreme you know events for people I don't think we need to walk around like all right back on but it's our habits and those rituals and things that you know start to at least pull us knowing that you know I think you know and you can tell me you know help correct me on this but I think a lot of people think that time will then suddenly just allow someone to get less and less sad or less and less you know because it's over time whereas I've I've watched you I've seen others that have gone through this and it's like the up and down right it's the it's a moment of of seeing something seeing a baby show up at the CrossFit gym talk me through these last few months and what that's been like to manage your emotions through it
0: yeah it's funny I uh just maybe last week had a moment of oh no, is something really wrong here? Like, do I need to talk to somebody about this, see a different therapist or whatever? Because I realized that it felt harder and it felt darker and it felt more painful than say the the weeks beforehand. And then I had a moment of being like, nothing is ever linear, so why would I expect this to be? Weight loss was never linear. Building a business has never been linear, right? You have weeks that are like amazing and then you have weeks where you're like, oh, I'm not gonna make it. Um, and I have come to accept that, but getting out of debt, it was the same way. And it allowed me to just say it's normal and natural and expected for grief to not be linear, for there to be weeks or even months where it feels like it's harder than it's ever been. Um, or that it'll never be okay again. And you know, to, your, to use your words in terms of like giving yourself that grace, I am committed to honoring these feelings. And when it is dark and it is sad and it is awful, let it be dark and let it be sad and let it be awful. And that doesn't mean that my other choices are resultant you know from that that mood or that place it can have its own space and i can go for a walk that day and i can get my work done that way and i can pray and i can praise and i can do all of those things at the same time so i don't know if it's a commitment to myself or it's a commitment to our daughter or both i will just let this be as big and as hard as it is Without feeling like I need to try to make it better.
1: I'm getting emotional because I'm thinking as I'm, I'm listening to you, do you think that Dagny, um pushes you now? Do you think that her, her life um, helped transform you in some way moving forward? I've definitely had thoughts along those lines, not,
0: not recently, but in the first couple of days. After she died, there was like a strong sense of of wanting to still be the kind of mom I wanted to be for her. Now, though, I think it's just more about survival. And I would imagine that like as time goes on and as it's been a little bit further or, or God willing as we have more children, I think there will be an element to that. But I think at this point, it's just get through the day.
1: Yeah. So talk to me about, cause I know that you and your partner, um, you know, you've talked a lot about this over the last couple of months, how everyone grieves differently. I mean, know, we don't read each other's minds. I love that you mentioned you can be sad and you can be hurt. And how have you, you know, been able to really work this with your relationship right now? Because, you know, I've, I've known people over the years that a death of a child, the death of a family member can ruin the relationship because we we grieve differently and 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 guys and girls show it differently. Talk to me about that. It has been
0: very hard. I would say you know, I remember when my dad died. I was a senior in college, so my my mom didn't have any kids in the house, and she had to she had to go through that but she wasn't sharing that grief with a person in the home you know and there's something unique about when a couple that's together loses a child because you are side by side in it as totally different individuals and I mean hey coming into it even before this, Chris and I could not be more polar opposite in every way. So there is very little surprise that we grieve very differently. Um, I think the key is trying to talk about it in a way that feels safe for both of you. And I'm much more of a communicator. Chris is not so much of a communicator verbally. um, And I'm much more emotional and he's much more pragmatic. I bought us a journal. And we write notes and we, we we pass this little book back and forth to each other. And I like that I can go back to things that he's written and said that I probably wouldn't get him to repeat verbally. And I also like that it it seems to be a lot easier for him to express his understanding in words because... For, for a lot of people, they want to fix. And Chris is one of those people who wants to fix. And so because he can't fix this for us, and especially my unique pain, having carried her and been through a C-section and all, all of those kinds of things, you know, my, my pain is unique and he knows that, um, when I'm verbally like breaking down or emotionally breaking down in front of him, he's just angry that he can't fix it. And that's how Mm -hmm. it comes across is he knows there's nothing he can do to help. He knows there's nothing he can do or say to make me feel better. And that's super, super hard for him. So the, the writing piece has been huge. But I also think Allowing for there to be difference is massive and having professional help is massive. I think that as humans, we are so generally bad at allowing people to be different at allowing their communication style to be different, allowing their feelings to be different, allowing their time frame to be different. We want to be on the same page. Like I want you to communicate the way I want you to communicate. I want you to feel the way I will feel. I want you to be where I'm at in this process. And one of the fastest things you can do to improve your life is allow for the differences, expect the differences. Don't try to make them disappear. And that is something that I have to work to do every day with Chris that I know our difference in how we grieve is reflective of how different we are as humans, which is reflective of the different experiences that we've been through. And that the way I show support to somebody is not the way he shows support to somebody because he has a different brain and he has a different path and he has, you know, 40 years of different experiences that I don't have. So that has just been massive. And that's not just, you know, in a marriage that's that's everywhere just allow for it expect it learn to appreciate it and
1: not look for everybody to kind of be where you are i love that and you know i wrote down can't you know being different. It's such a, a massive problem. We see it right now. I mean, just it's heavy in the news. And, you know, I've always said to my kids that if there's one thing that I hope that I teach them as they get older is that they're tolerant of other people's differences. Because growing up in a, a pretty strict religious home, I would say very autonomous. Like I actually just read a book on emotionally immature parents and it sounds like a terrible title but it it was a really I mean I said to my mom I'm like listen don't be offended when you see the title of this book I want you to read it because it's no judgment on the parent but those children grow up in households that it's everything is we do this we like this this is how we grieve this is how we have fun Mm -hmm. and you now see a whole society of people that can't you know accept differences sometimes coming from insecurity but sometimes just it's all they know right it's like they they literally think this is how we all do things you know this is how we all you know I I had a friend that got married at 40 and she was telling the funniest story in that you know they got married they had their first argument and she stormed off to the other room right and she's in there and he walks in and he goes what are you doing she goes I'm not speaking. That's what I'm doing. And he's like, are you giving me the silence treatment?" me? Like, this has never happened with me before. And she just, she just assumed that this is how everyone dealt with their arguments or issues because she'd watched her parents and she was like, here I was 40 realizing for the first time that this was just my experience. This is just what I saw. So I'm sure just learning those differences and, you know, at Such a heated place with a loss. I think that's where you really see how different we are with the grieving and how someone might communicate doesn't mean that the other person is not, you know, struggling or, or having a hard time, you know, when I placed um, Annie for adoption, I you know, those first few days didn't think I, I really didn't want to even move. I remember getting home from the hospital and, you know, mine was by choice. So that was even hard, you know, it was harder in a sense of like, I want to be selfish and I want to keep my baby here. The thought of not having her is making me feel like I I can't even live another day. But I also know that that's not, you know, the best option for me. And for me, it was, I mean, I just went home, didn't, you know, I didn't want to talk to anyone we didn't communicate about it you know it was that was just the way things were dealt with back then and you know you see it also you know come into the future with you you know with people the way that we have dealt with things in the past if we don't change those ways of of thinking or learning because it's all learned right we continue to show up in that you know same way so now that it's been a few months and you guys have started to you know, I don't even want to say, you know, unpack because I don't, I don't think that time, I mean, like you said, you're going to have times where you'll have a trigger for lack of a better word. So journaling is one thing that you mentioned. Walking is another thing that you've mentioned. Um, what other things have you leaned on? God was something you mentioned. What are some other things that you've done, um, during this time or leaned on?
0: I think the biggest thing is, is prayer. Um, I don't think for one second that I can get through any moment of this by myself. Uh, and I have a view of of God as a loving father. And um, I just believe that he wants to be close to his child when she's hurting. So that is, that is one huge thing as silly as it sounds, nutrition is another one because I believe very strongly that sugar is the ultimate bad mood food. I mean, it's funny how I will go to it when I'm in a bad mood for supposed uplifting. But if I look at the correlation between the days where emotionally I feel the worst, there is an undeniable tie to the way I'm caring for my physical body. So I've probably been Though, don't get me wrong, it's not perfect. I have days where I'm like, you know what? Ice cream is what I want. Ice cream is what I shall have. But by and large, I've been more militant about avoiding sugar since Dagny died than probably for the last couple of years, at least, because we can do a tremendous amount to support our healing or to derail our healing with what we eat. And it just goes back to 99.9% of the time, I do not feel like cooking. I do not feel like cleaning up. I would much rather have nachos and ice cream, but it's, it's my responsibility to my body and I don't wanna feel bad. This is the darkest, hardest place of my life. I certainly don't want to, by will, make that any more difficult. And for better or for worse, nutrition is a huge, huge part of that.
1: I couldn't agree more. And I think, you know, it's funny, if you've never ate, and I hate to use, because I don't use good versus bad because I don't believe in labeling foods, but if you've ever ate more nutritionally healthy, and then you go back to eating not so nutritionally healthy, it's amazing. That's when you notice it for the first time. There's a lot of people that never have noticed it because they've just ate so poorly, right? Right. And then I always say, just wait until you now start to eat in a way that supports you. And then you say, like, take a weekend away. I I feel lethargic. I feel, you know, like the sugar, same thing. Sugar is definitely a trigger for me. And I am someone that just does, I even tell, it's it's a constant affirmation. I say to myself that, This does not help me. This does not make me feel better. Because like you, it is the first place I go. If I want to shame myself, if I'm upset, if I want to punish, it's like I already know that this is the thing. And it could be tied to childhood. You know, that was maybe my little secret comforter at times when I was by myself. But I I definitely think that's such an important one because people are always looking for the silver bullet, right? They're like, okay, and this is what I'm going to do. And they don't realize, you've mentioned already, several things prayer daily walks which could be yeah. habit routine yeah. you know um nutrition you know just getting up in the morning you know i mean there's been a couple times where i've watched your stories and you know you've been so honest and raw and uh, i don't want to be doing this today i don't feel like doing anything today and you really show that our feelings don't always get to vote You know, because if it was up to my feelings, I I would have stayed in bed. I can't tell you how many times. Your story, and I I do this all the time from like just a, a brain update story is, I find impactful stories to use to pull myself. So as much as it sounds extreme, if I'm having a day where, let's say Leilani comes to me and is like, mom, you know, will you come play with me at my play store? And I'm busy. Like, I'm like, I've got so many things to do i I actually take I anchor Dagny and I go, You know what? Elizabeth doesn't get her baby here today, so I need to take today to spend that time with my daughter, and as much as it isn't extreme, I do it with my cancer, I know people that are not here today and I use those extremes because so many people are just not living present. They're not living today as if they're really here with all the blessings that we have. So it's definitely something that I use that I hope you know that there's been so many blessings coming out of such a tragic thing. Because for me, I, I use that. I'm like, Amy, go spend that quality time with Leilani because you know what? Elizabeth wouldn't do anything to have just an extra moment. An extra you know, um sorry, make get emotional, but I want to wrap up here, Elizabeth, because i 'm going to definitely have you on again, <laughs> hopefully in a few months, where you know we can just see even the the progression of just you're in the mess. It's the icky, yucky place that people never want to talk about. They never want to discuss. And it's so important too, right? I mean, I remember reaching out to you saying, I don't know what I should say to you. And I don't know, but I think that that is, you know, lastly, what should people do? Let's say that you have someone that is Struggling through something, I know with my cancer, people it was like the white elephant in the room. Right, they didn't want to ask how I was doing. So, what are what are some things that people could do or that they did do for you that really helped support?
0: I'm sure that everybody's really different, and unfortunately for for us, we lost our daughter at the start of a pandemic, and so that you know funerals in our state were deemed essential. but I would say the biggest thing is ask and not in the way of like, if there's anything I can do because that doesn't count, right? But I would love for you to tell me what kinds of things are helpful and what kinds of things are not helpful. I think that kind of just directness is really empowering. And I'll tell you, nobody has said that to me. There's There have been people who have been helpful and there are people who have shown up. Um, but to say can you just tell me, and I know this might change, and when it does change, I'd, I'll, I'll keep asking you because I'm sure that it will change, but right. what has been helpful and what has not been helpful? Um, because it does change. And my response is probably reflective of the fact that we haven't had a lot of people show up because of the pandemic and because of all of that. Um, my big thing is show up and keep showing up and don't, you know, how, it? whatever that means, if it means you drive to somebody's house and you leave something in their driveway and you, you know, text them that it's there um, or it's that you go for a walk with them or you just sit beside them while they cry, my response is show up and keep showing up, whether it's for a minute or if it's five minutes or it's five hours, but more specific to, you know, an individual, I would say just ask in that direct way, What has been helpful so far and what has not been helpful? Is there something I've done that has been helpful? Is there something I have done that hasn't been helpful? Um, Because I could probably write a book about the things that haven't been
1: helpful, but day to day, what might be helpful is different. I like that. And I think that um, I think it's an important thing to just, you know, time passes for other people. You know, it's like when Eric's dad passed away, you know, I remember for him, it was his world. Right. And in those upcoming weeks afterwards, it was like it changed everything for him. But after a couple weeks, everyone else tends to forget. And so one thing, you know, that, you know, he taught me was I actually put like calendar reminders because. We get busy, and it's not that we don't want to help or be thinking about you know others that are going through things. But you know, while their world is completely upside down, you know, people are moving on. And I remember him being in the grocery store like a couple months later, and someone's like, "Hey, bud, how you doing?" Like, just not even thinking that this is still a very current thing. So I think sometimes even those open ended questions like that, like, "How do you think I'm doing?" Because that was that was me after I placed for adoption. Was like everyone would ask me, and I wanted to be like. Really? Just don't even ask that question because we already know that that's just not going to be, you know, the place. But, you know, reaching out, I think, you know, like you said, just being really honest and saying, hey, I don't really know the right approach. I don't know what to say, what not to say. I would respect that more than the person that just avoids. And I've been that person that's just been like, man, this is just the most tragic thing. I don't know what to do or say. So thank you for, you know, that will help those that, you know, know someone suffering struggling going through something so you obviously really show the power of overcoming you know something that no one ever wants to imagine and you're still overcoming it I think that's the thing too there is no end you do show up every day Um, can you tell people where one they can find you and anything that you offer like I normally don't ask this question however I love you, Elizabeth, and I already know that there will be people that need you in their life, need what you offer in their life. So tell me what, you know, tell me a little bit about your program and just what you offer.
0: Yeah. So the easiest place to find me on social media is probably Instagram. I am i don't spend a lot of time on Facebook, uh, but Instagram at Elizabeth Benton. My podcast is called Primal Potential. Um, I do a 12-week coaching program called the 12 Weeks to Transformation. But we also, for folks who just want something a little bit more DIY on the go, I have daily mindset upgrades that I text every single day, uh, seven days a week. So a bunch different ways to connect with me, to work with me, but those are a couple of them. And of course, the book Chasing Cupcakes.
1: Daily mindset was the one I was going to say, because that is the one that I've gotten a lot of feedback on. And it's really cool that you have a daily text that goes out and you've put a lot of time into these. If you're listening now, you need to one- go subscribe to Primal Potential. She's got 700 plus episodes you can definitely find. I started current and I just started working my way back. Like that was the best way for me to not feel so overwhelmed because you have more content and I mean, you're just right up my alley. So you need to go subscribe, share it, because I know how important that is to me with podcasting. You know, it's it's still a, a thing that people don't know about. They don't even know where to go. So screenshot it share it with a friend, go follow Elizabeth on Instagram and, you know, let her come into your world. You will not regret it. Sign up for her mindsets. Actually, that's probably the best because I'm a big believer in those daily upgrades. It's like the software update that we need and, you know, to to help us thrive. So I'm so thankful for you coming on today. Um, You're the one person that makes me nervous because you're, you're on my board for like, this is Elizabeth's goals for me. So I'm, I'm just really appreciative for you to come on and just be willing to talk about anything thank you so much amy i'm really really grateful thanks okay another episode in the books and i'll tell you what i am loving this podcasting gig i cannot thank you enough for all of the reviews for the comments that you've been sending me it gives me an idea of more of what you want to hear and my one ask here is this I would love it if you would screenshot this or hit the copy link and share this with people you think would benefit from hearing from me. It's the way I'm going to get my message out, my vision out, and I would so much appreciate it. I will continue to bring episodes on Tuesdays and Fridays with bonus ones on Saturdays with my husband, and I'm excited to share them with you.